Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for a lovely Spring Take Two episode. It is April 29th, which is kind of blowing my mind right now because the world is ebbing and flowing. And right now I feel like we're in hyperspeed. I don't know how we got to May. And May is usually the craziest month mm. in TV because it's ratings. And then as a mom, it's when all of your the season, kid things yeah. go on where right. everything school's ending. So um, excited to have you guys here. Uh, Greg Hughes, once again, was just like, mm, I have mm-hmm. better things to do. So our friend, the state auditor, John Dougal, who apparently has free time Flowing from his veins. I say that sarcastically. Thanks for being with us. And happy to join you on a Friday afternoon. Thank you. And Mark Carabello of the Exoro Group, who is in a brand new office. So hopefully that yes. all went smoothly. We haven't seen each other for a couple weeks. I know. It seems like it's been a while. I'm excited to be back. How, I know. How was Florida? Oh, me. I was like, Mara went to Florida too. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I've got Friday brain. My mom's from Florida, so I love We're Florida. in Florida. She was born in um, Key West, and I think she graduated from high school in Boca Raton. Ooh, now that's quite the life. Key West. My daughter's actually moving down there late this summer to go work on a coral project in bacteria to see if they can save the reefs. So I'm excited for her to go down there. That'll be a fun place to do that. Yeah, it'll be super fun. And um, hopefully after hurricanes have passed for the season. But I was off the Gulf Coast, off of Fort Myers in Naples. There's an island called Sanibel and Captiva. And we go there every single year, except for over the pandemic, we didn't go. So it was so nice being back. It's one of those places where you don't get dressed up. No one's fancy. Like you just literally like roll out of bed. You go on the beach. Nobody puts clothes on aside from their swimsuit. It's mm-hmm. not nude. But you just like you just go and swim Hang with out. dolphins and manatees and find seashells. And it was good. Yeah. So had some good family time and I'm back at it. Did you guys do anything fun over spring break or all business? Political conventions. Okay. He's hardcore. That that's puts the, puts the Hard F.U. in fun. Core. Yeah. <laughs> are we allowed to say that on podcast? I guess we are because I just said it. I we went to New York. We I saw my brother on Broadway, which was fun. He's been um, doing a show called Company, and then we took the seventeen-year-old on a little tour of colleges, which Ooh. resulted in elimination. But I'm going to take that. I'm going to take any information about that's half the must. battle is like knowing yeah. that that's not the place yeah i will just say in answer to the question is it still snowing in burlington vermont the answer is yes yes it is yes it i hear is. it's beautiful this time of year it's lovely that cold breeze off the lake i was like okay let's do a little quick look around and get out of here no it was beautiful really pretty that's one of the states i have not checked off my bucket list list but yes if winter is not your thing that's probably not where Where you you want to be but your brother um tell us who your brother is because you only told me recently and i still am dying to should we give him a pitch on on the cake take two broadcast so playborn elder please look him up he enjoys a good bit of social media uh, on Instagram, I know. I'm like, yeah, wow, he's, like he's an, always he's an doing influence. shit. Yeah, he, like, he loves himself. We, we, he loves many himself. Of us, many of us. <laughs> no, he's he's great. He he just finished The Gilded Age, for those of you watching yeah, that on that's HBO. Big. 
and he is in company, which is a season Stephen Sondheim um, reboot with Patti Lapone, where they switch gender roles this time. So it's a different take at company, and and they're doing well. And I'm over here saying I don't even know what you're talking about. And uh, John's like, okay, I'll okay. nod. We'll, 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 we'll post his Instagram <laughs> okay. page on there, but yeah. um, that's kind of fun for all of you political folks who want to get into musical theater. I know because sometimes you just got to branch out you gotta, and do something. You else. do, you know that. What's the Old expression about boring, right? Yeah. You don't want to be it. You don't want to be it. Wait, careful. I resemble that comment. (laughs) Sorry. I'm pretty boring, Uh. too. But uh, let's talk about the politics because I feel... I, I was hoping over spring break everything would be quiet and no one would miss anything if we took a week off. But it as per usual, everything is happening. <laughs> uh, uh, Senator Orrin Hatch uh, passed away this last week. His funeral's coming up next week. We'll talk about him in just a minute. What I want to focus on is this is what's sneaking up on us ever so closely. But yesterday was the two-month mark out from the June primary, which is so important, but also when people are just busy with summer and having fun and not thinking about business. Uh, ballots arrive in mailboxes June 7th. They start arriving. So we're literally five weeks away from when you can start voting on who you want in the races. And the interesting thing um, is we have the conventions going on, which a couple things surprised me. I flew back into town the day the state conventions were happening. So I was watching what was happening, and I was watching the Democrats. Did you go hang out with them at all, Mara, that day? I did not. You made the choice to just stay home and relax. Yes, yes, I didn't make it to the convention. So I was really questioning whether they would vote um, for their delegates to um, back Hale Weston, who was their candidate, or if they would go rogue and back um, Evan McMullen, who's running as an independent. Were you surprised that ultimately they took the road less traveled? I was a little surprised. I will never underestimate the influence, though, of Ben McAdams. I mean, he has spent a lot of time with this party, and he has doubled down. So I think a big factor was Ben and Jenny as party leaders influencing that, which is either either indicting or good, right? I don't say that maybe as a compliment, that your main primary or your party leaders um, were also not backing the primary candidate. It should be said, too, that Cale Weston was a legit candidate. Like, he's got a great resume. That's right. He's a lot of Democrats thought he was fantastic. He's smart. I mean, you're not looking at... You know, someone who's not serious-minded. He's smart. He's intelligent. And John and I were talking about this a little. The half a dozen and six is what your calculus is. And one, and and a lot of Republicans are making hay of the fact that clearly the Democrats don't have a philosophy or a party or they wouldn't do this. But I think there's... Or they don't believe in their own party, their uh, own message. Right. And I I think there's a couple more sort of nuanced ways of looking at it. And one is to say, hey, listen... We looked around and we saw that statistically we weren't going to win in a general election. And that was just the reality of it. So if we believe in moderation and if we believe in centrist um, philosophies and if what we want to break is the juggernaut of not voting for a Republican, hey, maybe we do that. Because in Utah, I contend that it's the brand of Democrats, not the candidates. Democrats put up some of the best candidates. I will also tell you that Democrats, I think, fall in line more with Utah values often than Republicans do. But the Democratic brand, the Nancy Pelosi brand, 
is not doing well right now. And so I think the strategy is... And hasn't been doing well for a while. So the strategy is if we can get people out of the habit of defaulting to the Republican brand, and if you can get them to vote not for the Republican... No name. Then do we join and maybe give you a fighting chance of voting for a Democrat or a moderate in the future. Evan McMullen is selling himself as a moderate... I will say it that way because I am not persuaded that Evan McMullen is a moderate, but he um, attended the Democratic caucus and he worked the crowd like crazy. He will absolutely need, so if you say Democrats are in the mid-20s maybe in terms of their vote, now their vote becomes significant, right? Now, now, and so that would be the argument of the people like Ben McAdams is how do I get my vote in play? How do I get it to matter? Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. I don't know if it surprised you, but... um, Evan McMullen really is selling himself as a moderate, and I would be interested to say, he let's it play for a second that he gets elected. If we were to look at how he was voting, is he really going to be a moderate? And I don't know that he is from things he said in the past when he was running for president and leading up to now. There's a lot of statements he makes, but none of them like super firm in that makes me believe that he's any different than maybe any other Republican that we have in the race. Well, one of the interesting things is he says, I'm not going to caucus with the Democrats. I'm not going to caucus with the Republicans. So all of a sudden he becomes, in your hypothetical, a party of one or a caucus of one out there, which means you're not going to get anything done. The simple fact in Congress, it's an issue of numbers. you mm-hmm. got to be in the majority or of votes, not necessarily the majority party, but the majority of votes to get something done. And if you're a caucus of one, you ain't going to get nothing done. Ben McAdams, I have not spoken to him in real life. We were talking on Twitter. Do we talk to each other, at each other, how you, <laughs> on Twitter? And I said something about how... We'll he ask be Elon Musk some, what he says. Yeah, we, yeah. You know, he's not... Get, can he get anything accomplished if you don't actually caucus with a group? And can you get assignments and be on committees? And Ben McAdams is claiming that there is history and reason to believe that he would. But I'm looking back in any recent history since we've had power... And I just don't see, and I mean electricity by power. <laughs> I'm just looking at anything recent. We've had political power yes. for a long time. But I just don't see that there's a lot out there that shows me that he would have an ability to really make a difference on committees or have a group that wants to take him under their wing. Or if you're allowed to go back and forth and play both sides, I don't know. Well, and I, and I know the Democrats are, are kind of, this is from my perspective, desperation move, that they think this is the way to unseat Mike Lee. They so dislike Mike that they think this is the way to unseat him. I don't think the math works in their favor. Hashtag dislike Mike. So I think this is a short-term thing that I think is going to backfire. But from my perspective, I sit there and I watch so many Democrats saying, okay, register as Republican, don't back our candidate. It's like, you don't believe in your own party? And that's, you know, individual citizens are going to do whatever they're going to do in their calculus. But a party is supposed to try and help bring people together under a shared message, a shared vision of what they're trying to do. And to me, what it says is the Democratic Party in Utah is finally saying, yeah, we don't have much. So what I'll push back on, I'll continue to push back on, is those people who you prioritize... Push back never. Those, what is this? Those people who prioritize party over personal choice, I think that the... Um, when parties, well, I think it's weird that the Democratic Party itself, the party's officials, I think they, the hat they have on is to put forth the agenda. But if I move beyond people, and when I hear the criticism of they don't have much to say, I hear that of people who value the organization of political gathering more than the individual right to vote. I don't think an individual who wants to vote for who they see as a moderate or someone outside their party, I don't think they're compromising their values. I think they're following policy. I think it's highly unusual and questionable that the party apparatus 
seated itself. And that's, I think, worth the discussion is that the party apparatus, the, the elected people who, who said, Heidi, your role is to perpetuate yeah. this organization. I find it strange that they capitulated to it. I don't think that individuals should actually be as loyal to parties as they are. I am critical of the Republicans who vote Republican without looking at the issue. I think that that has created... Well, and you and I agree on that right. issue. Right, and I think it's created circumstances where the best candidate hasn't won. Because it shouldn't be a religion. You should look at the yeah, person, not the party. It, it's, yeah. a di- it's, it's a loose directive, but because it doesn't require anything... To be a Republican or a Democrat, right? Like, there's no litmus test to it. It should, or, or it, ever so slight. It, or, it doesn't mean I can. I can be any party I want, no matter what right. I believe. Right. But it is a question for the Democrats of why the apparatus gave up on their own party. It is interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you were at the Republican uh, convention. You mentioned um, spending All your day time. Long. It did look like a long day. I got day. there at seven a.m. and left at like six. Ooh, wow! I hope you brought hydrated? snacks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, there was a lot of interesting things to come out of it, but sticking with the Senate race. Uh, Senator- Are we going to talk about my speech? Oh, no, sorry. Ooh, let's <laughs> do. What did you talk about? No, I, just, I, just, I just shared some irony as I was driving down the road and saw this young lady driving a Prius with a bumper sticker that said, Stop Mining. And I just shared the Where irony. Where did they get the battery pieces without mining? The battery mm. pieces, the steel, the tires, whatever it might be. It's just kind of ironic that we fail to understand where so much of our uh, life comes from. It really is true. 10,000 spoons when all you need is a knife. That's no. what I think when you think of irony. <laughs> is it ironic? If I could like carry a tune, I would sing it for you. Okay, so... Uh, but Mike, Mike, Mike Lee was a rock star there. As expected, I mean, yes. As expected, 70%. I mean, yeah, 70, 71%. You know, standing ovation from most folks when he came walking in the hall, you knew exactly where this was going to go on the first round. I mean, he had six opponents and first round. 70, 71%. So here's the interesting part. So Becky Edwards, um, who is on the primary ballot, and Ali Isom also, they both got the 20,000 signatures, 28,000 signatures needed. Uh, we're both there. Um, Becky finishing a little bit further ahead at 11 point, I forget, 7%. It's like 11, 12% versus yeah, 9, 10%. Yeah, and so they were fairly close, but Ali Isom two days ago has now called on Becky Edwards to drop out of the race. Uh, they're obviously both in about the same pot where they've got the same amount of signatures, finishing about the same behind uh, Senator Mike Lee. Is there a reason that Ali Isom should be calling on Becky to, you know, jump out of the race? Or is this just nastiness in politics? Well, I think uh, the very first thing is just recognize, even when you look at the uh, likely Republican voters, Mike Lee has like 67% support. And so for both of those candidates, it is highly unlikely they're going to have any impact on, on Mike's outcome in the primary. Um, I think uh, this isn't really nastiness from my perspective. It's more calculus. Um, if you look at the political spectrum, Ali is closer to where Mike is than Becky. And so, therefore, Becky doesn't really pull from Mike. And Ali thinks that she might be able to pull some people away from Mike to her support. So if she can pick up Becky and pull some from Mike, maybe she has a chance from her calculus. I don't think that's likely. But, but that's where I think this is going is both of them know that they split the vote and guarantee that Mike's going to win. And, and Ali honestly believes that because she's closer to Mike on the political spectrum, she has a better chance of challenging him than Becky does. I haven't paid attention on social media, Mara, and it seems to me um, from the people I follow, some people who I think would traditionally call themselves Democrats, long before we were talking about Evan McMullen, were backing Becky Edwards. If you were to line up, let's say, Becky Edwards and Evan McMullen together, which one's the more conservative and which is the more liberal of the two? Well, I mean, from my estimate, um, Becky is more moderate than than. 
Evan. Evan, Evan hasn't actually given any indication that he's a moderate. I just still want to be clear <laughs> that I appreciate that he wants the Democratic vote, but I, I, I don't see any evidence he, of he his He doesn't moderation. have a voting record. Becky right. does. Mike does. And, 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 and Becky, to her credit, isn't hiding that she's a moderate. And to many, depending on where we stand, is where other people are, right? So to yeah. many, she may lean too Democratic. To For others, she's a moderate. And I think that that's the calculus. I mean, she, Becky would tell you, hey, as a challenger, I have a stronger record of fundraising and in polling. I mean, we've seen some public polls. But I think that's right. Allie's case, her support is like, hey, who, if you're going to match up against Mike Lee, you're going to match up on who pulls votes from him, takes away votes from him. And and Allie has come out as a very traditional Republican. Main, you know, I wouldn't even say mainstream because many Republicans think that's moderating. <laughs> so um, a, a Reagan, you know, straight up Republican. And so... If you are a Republican who only wants a capital R Republican, I think it makes sense when Ali says, hey, listen, I'm I'm the choice. Even though you're seeing these polling numbers, I am your choice. I am the only one who can take away votes from Mike Lee. Evan McMullen, her argument would say Evan McMullen and Becky are taking away points from each other and Democrats and unaffiliates, but yeah. they're not actually taking away my exclusive voice. There's one thing I want to debunk a little bit, partly from a female position and partly from um, wanting to differentiate that in politics. There was no in my, from my seat, there was absolutely no nastiness from Allie when she asked Becky to step down. I want to be clear, like, there is so much snarking now and so nasty. And she was very respectful of Becky, and she didn't disparage her at all. And she nor, pleaded her case. And everyone, she she thinks Becky is a serious-minded person who deserves to run. So I, I I sort of object as a female like that I think when females are tough or even assertive, we're often confused as nasty. But Allie wasn't being Stop nasty. Being nasty. I, exactly. But Allie wasn't being nasty at all. It, this is a race, and you, and you need to compete well. And she, those two have run positive campaigns with each other. But the reality is you can't, when you're running against an incumbent like this, challengers can't afford to split the vote. I don't think, and I've heard from Allie's camp, that this wasn't very premeditated. It wasn't like they were planning this moment. Brian Malahi, to his credit said to Ali, hey, are you are you planning to step down, Becky? I've heard Becky talk about it. John was at convention. Yeah. They've been, everybody is calling on everybody to step down informally. And at that moment, I think Ali was like, no, I'm, I'm not. And I'm calling on her and I want to express that. So I don't think it was really premeditated. And I thought she did it with conviction and no nasty at all about her opponent. She made her case about why she is going to be a better vote. If you don't want Mike Lee, she made a case for why she um, is the better vote. So I just I, I, I just want to say when women are tough and assertive, they're not nasty. They're just And I do love that we have two women who are in the I race and got those signatures, which I think is amazing. If you want to hear more from Allie, I talked to her yesterday and we posted that as a full bonus podcast if you'd like to listen to that. And I'm hoping to get Becky in and talk to her as well. But I'm sure that it's coming to the point where everybody knows they've got five weeks to yeah. change minds or whittle down the race. It I think we're going to see a lot more of this because I look back to the gubernatorial race, which is really the first time where we saw the signatures coming into play and having a lot of um, people on the ballot who were qualified. And there's a little gamesmanship and peace moving behind the scenes to make sure that, you know, maybe there's fewer choices and they're not spreading out the vote. Was it the governor who was asking Herbert at the time? Was it Thomas Wright he took aside? I think that's who it was. It was. And yeah, said, hey, right. maybe you should drop that's out, right. you know. And so there's always something like that going on in the race and it doesn't mean they're not a good candidate but they're all trying to figure out the math of 
how they get things done the best yeah. way. And before we leave this session, I, I think the outcome of both conventions, it, the theme was primaries. So we focused on the super hot U.S. Senate race, which yeah. we should have, right? Every single congressional seat has a primary. Every single congressional seat has a primary. At least one, if not two. Which is exciting. It's so exciting. And we have half a dozen Senate and House races that... 10 years ago would not have been contested. Now, I'm pro count my vote. I'm pro I'm pro alternatives to the ballot, but I think what you're seeing is, you know, I, I question the June now because it is such a hard time for I'm going to say normal and those of you listening don't get to qualify in this category, but like people who who are mowing their lawns <laughs> I think might forget it's the start of summer. I, I mean, yeah. school's out. I, it's a tough time to have this conversation. I think vote by mail helps because it's in your house. It's sitting on your But I also but just want to say there are primaries, 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 primaries. Like check your ballot and tell your friends and family. There are things and people to vote on this year. But the challenge is you got July and you got August. And it's not like they're any better months either. For sure. Because, exactly. Good. Because we're, good well we got said. certain time periods to get ballots out to folks, especially the military. Yeah. On either side, and yeah, you're That's just kind of exactly squeezing right. the summer. I was going to mention one thing on policy. So, so Becky and Allie, a big part of their message is we need more collaboration back in D.C. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I would suggest right now in the Republican Party that is a losing message. Mike Lee's message is much more I'm fighting against bad policy, and that message is resonating with so many Republicans around this state because they look at the policies currently coming yeah, out of D.C. Let- and they go. We don't like those. We want somebody to fight against those policies. I'm going to carry their water and tell you what their their um, response to Mike Lee is. Yeah, but you're not effective. Mike Lee has not shown himself to be effective. Loud is not effective. Ted Cruz is not effective. And so I think the question back is, yeah, Mike Lee talks a nice hard line, but is Mark, Mike Lee effective at all? It's a good question. And we're going to leave that up to people who get to vote. Ballots arrive June 7th. You have until the 28th. It'll be exciting to see. It is exciting. And this, and then it's going to get even more exciting in November to see what the heck happens there. So Yeah. I know. We're never going to be bored on this podcast. We're going to have things to talk about. Okay, so Elon Musk feels like old news by now, <laughs> but it keeps being uh, newsworthy. Let's hear it for Tesla. SpaceX. <laughs> SpaceX. Oh, wait, no. Right now, he. I was really surprised that the Twitter deal went through. And when I went through that it was accepted, we probably have six more months to figure out if Elon Musk really will be the CEO, president, vice president, and the entire board of Twitter. But um, right now, it's just interesting to see how insane it's made people on Twitter just being like, you know what, this is going to be, you know, a giant block party for white supremacists. Um, I saw something from AOC today. What did she say? I've got to find it. But it just there's so many people who are just like, what if this totally rocks our elections and you know, changes the world, and then you see Republicans on the other end being like, oh, now you know how we feel. So when you look at this, um, is having a billionaire who is in charge of a social media company kind of on his own, is this a bad idea, or is there a chance that Elon Musk being in charge of one of our social media sites that we might get a little bit more of a fair conversation where people aren't getting deleted, shadow banned, Well, I'm going to say the very first thing when you're an entrepreneur uh, pretty much whatever you're doing, people are saying is a bad idea. And so you have to have the courage of your convictions to move forward with your ideas and pitch it. I mean, Elon going into space or an electric car that you know beats the existing auto manufacturers, all of those things people would have said is a stupid idea. Google, when it came out, that was a stupid idea. Now it kind of dominates so much of the world. And so as an entrepreneur, you know, is this a bad idea? I don't know. We'll, we'll see as it plays out. 
but clearly he's got the money, he's got the resources, he's got the focus to make this kind of deal happen. He talks about himself as a free speech absolutist. Now, he nuances that a little bit. I don't think he's quite an absolutist there because he talks about whatever's legal and, and so forth. But it will be interesting to see what shakes out. Clearly, he wants much more free speech on Twitter, as I understand what he's talking about. He's got some ideas of how he can change the business model and lengthen the amount of tweets and, and other things like that and make the algorithm for, for blocking uh, certain tweets or prioritizing tweets higher than others. He wants to make that more transparent so people can have, quote-unquote, better trust. You'll have to see all that, how it shakes out. But it is kind of interesting. I do watch kind of the wringing of hands and, and go, guys, this is just, especially for employees, this is a company. This is, this is not like a religion or something. This is a company. I think you protest a little too much. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, Mara, when I look at this, I mean, if you were to look at the tech industry overall, whether you look at Google, Facebook, Instagram, you know, how things are run, I think they tend to probably be more liberal in their leanings and how right. decisions are made. So does this kind of give us a chance that maybe another site might, I mean, maybe it'll be more right-leaning, maybe it will be, you know, the middle ground that we all really want in America to have real free speech. Who knows? We have to give him a chance to try it first because yeah, it may I mean, be a hot mess. You know? I don't know that I find Elon Musk particularly political. I don't think he's stable enough to be involved. Like, the guy does whatever he wants. Like, he beats to his own drum. Most billionaires and, are a little crazy. Right? Yeah. I mean, so, like, he's just doing his own thing. I think what it's brought into stark light, which I do think is interesting for us to remember, which is something you tell all your teenagers – these are private platforms. We've come to think of them as being ours, right, in the general space. It's our forum. What are they going to do to our discourse? Mm -hmm. It's a private tech firm. Maybe we shouldn't be giving it, maybe we shouldn't be concentrating our speech in two and three forums. Maybe we should branch out. I think it brings up an interesting case study. Just in, a sec, let me put that on Facebook. In, in, what, in, <laughs> what, in what happens, I mean, again, we're all choosing to sign agreements that we don't read on a private platform and have a public conversation on a private platform. And I think, I think Elon Musk will challenge that in many ways. And I think many of his actions come across as political. I do think he's, he, he, he's right of center in traditional um, right to left, but I don't know if I think he's Republican or Democrat, right? I think he's doing his own thing all the time. I mean, the dude smokes dope in the middle of his board meetings. Like, he's just doing his thing. And so what's interesting is he's a keen reminder that these are private sites, and we've come to think of them as bastions of free speech, and maybe we shouldn't, and maybe we should have more choices. Now, interesting, not a fan of President, former President Trump, so I don't mean to bring this up in light, but it was interesting he launched his own, Truth, and they haven't I, done well. social, yeah. And it's done really poorly. And and he had a strong, She's downplaying her you know, and, 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 active participation on the and site. That's right. That's right. But, like, it, he had a following, and it did really poorly, right? So we weren't ready Well, the problem is, is I don't one. think people want to go on their own. I think they want to join what we're joining. What we're joining and have... But now it is... Well, you have a network Twitter. effect. If you're just there and your friends aren't there, yeah. then you don't have the leverage just, and the power. But now, did, did, tw did Twitter just become Elon's? Like, that's what we're all asking, right? Like, Twitter used to be ours, even though it wasn't, but it was. And now is it Elon's? And I don't know. I think I, I'm curious about this maturing now of what we well, see as well, these social forums. Who, Mr. Twitter, who's in favor of Elon? 
Right. I mean, this is an interesting dynamic. It so is interesting. interesting. And the thing is, is that whether we like it or not, it has become a town hall. So it's this exactly. weird space where it really is our public town hall. It's where we meet. And yep. like, it's kind of like when you look back at Beauty and the Beast and they go to the town hall and they're walking around and, you know, buying things and talking to people. That's right. It's kind of where we do things now. We've we've changed and this is our town hall. So the question is, it's a private business, but it's also our pri- you know public town hall. So that's where a lot of the confusion comes in. What are your thoughts? Because you're in the news media and so free speech is a, a fundamental to it your is. business. And I mean, I'm always hopeful if there might be change for the better. So I have written a couple of stories um, during the pandemic that I worked a long time on. I checked, I double checked, I rechecked the numbers, um, went through them legally and we're posting about simply about side effects from the vaccine, which I felt like people should know about. We can talk all day long about how many people get sick, uh, what can happen if you get sick. You might lose your taste. You might lose your smell. In some cases, people might die. You know, we were talking about that every single day. But when the vaccines came up, we weren't talking about what should you expect. If you get a side effect, and side effects happen, whether you take a vaccine or you pop an ibuprofen or whatever, um, side effects happen. And so I did these stories about side effects, what real people were seeing, and if you have them, where do you report them to them? And if you report it to VAERS that's run by the CDC and the FDA, where does that information go? How is it used? Those stories were, um, if not fully banned, shadow banned, or people were banned when they posted them on Facebook and Twitter. And that's what I have a problem with when companies are deciding what is what belongs in you know the public sphere where people can read and what can't. I think people should have the choice to read and understand the issue from every side. Are you always going to be able to get rid of disinformation? I don't think we're ever going to, you know, be able to get rid of that. It's just like gossip or people making stuff up in real life. But these were, I felt, important stories. Uh, they had been checked and rechecked by multiple people. They were all factual. They're But it was against the grain because nobody at the time wanted anyone to have a question about the vaccine but to get it. And I'm like, our job as journalists isn't to tell people to get a vaccine or tell them not to get a vaccine. Our job is to tell them about the pros and cons, the risks of getting the virus or getting the vaccines or all of the above. And so to me, if we can get to a place where someone else isn't picking and choosing what is news and what we're allowed to see and not see, I see that as a better world. Whether Elon Musk can do that or not, I don't know. But I would differentiate, you're a professional. I don't think there's equal access to the forum, and that's the tricky part. That's true. Is that you're following a code of ethics. You have training. You have an ethos that says, my role is to present the pro-cons. I think what that runs up against is private individuals, some of whom maybe are intentionally lying or not, and how I, as a consumer, differentiate between. One is I just source check, and I say, you know, Joe in the basement maybe isn't Heidi yeah. Hatch, and I have to do that on my own. Sorry, right here I'm having shades of Seinfeld. Do you remember when George said <laughs> yeah, to Jerry, is. Jerry, just remember, <laughs> it's not a lie if you really believe it. If you really believe hard. And I think that's where we <laughs> all perfect. have to, as grown-up adults, I mean, go read news, and I don't know if you read it from Fox or CNN or if you KUTV, KSL, wherever you read it. If it's something where you're like, you know, I have a question, read another source, read another source, get information from multiple places, do your own research. 
uh, and don't always believe that everything you click on is the hard and fast truth. And I think that there can be truths and different ideas in different right. sharings of, you know, nobody has, you know, a patent on truth or what it is. And so I think that's where I'm hopeful that maybe Elon Musk might be able to change things. I think a lot of people are using as an example right now the Hunter Biden story, which came out during the last election, whether it would have had any difference or not, who knows. Um, I mean, the children of presidents are the children of presidents. But um, that story was really not allowed to be in the public forum and taken off. And now two, three years later, all of a sudden, the mainstream media is saying, yeah, it was correct. And so I don't know if we want platforms or governments even, which might be starting soon with uh, the Department of Homeland Security uh, coming up with, I forget what they've called it. Um, they're basically going to be Big Brother watching out and deciding you know, if things are okay online. Do we want people deciding those kind of things that could sway elections? And on one end, things people tweet or Facebook or post online could sway elections, and it could also sway election if you take it away. So who do we want doing the swaying? That's the big question, I guess. But we have always had someone doing the swaying. Absolutely. This is not a new dilemma. It was it, true in 1867. It was, it, it was true in 1923. We have had Look at the people, dynamics at the founding of the country right, and we the have, back and forth. We've always had... So, I mean, again, I think it's a real dilemma, but I don't think it's a modern dilemma. No. We just now have an equalizer in technology, which makes it a new a new game. Absolutely. Now, now class, you're reading assignments. Go home and read 1984. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is we all want to think, well the government can decide for us and they'll always tell us the truth and it's not always true i mean even if you look back to world war ii the united states of america and other countries had major propaganda arms and i don't know that they were giving out any kind of disinformation but they were giving us the information they wanted so people would stay behind right. the effort to do what was needed uh i mean there's always there, there, there are times when the government's that. ill-informed and there's times when the government wants to put a positive spin on something Absolutely. and there are times when the government is enormously credible i want to give the balance because i see more and more i mean we see this in that uh, advocates are often much more trusted now than the governmental entity itself. Yeah. So maybe there's some good in that, and maybe there's some bias against government that's actually got their heads down doing some good work. Yeah, and I always think that no matter where you're talking about government or news or, um, you know, just like any kind of business out there, there's always good people yeah. who are doing the right thing and doing the best they can, and there's always people who are, you know, working against that. And you're not going to ever get away from that. And so I think it's always a terrible idea to be like, all government's bad or all news is bad or all this is bad because... Well, and there are times when Mara and I are going to disagree, but she's doing what she thinks is best and I'm doing what I think is best, mm -hmm. even though we're doing different things. It's Because true. we disagree, we have different perspectives. Right. I, know. I always think that when elections and people are so nasty and mean to each other, and I'm thinking everybody is taking care of themselves, they're they and their partner or their spouse or their children in the best way they know how and what they think is going to be best for their family. We're all doing what we think is the best. The question is, you know, how we continue to make those decisions kindly and wisely and not make it all, they suck and they suck and burn it all down. You know, everything's just so turned into a religion these days, and I just hate that. Um, before we end here real quick, we've been uh, chatting so much about these exciting topics. I do want to talk about uh, Senator Orrin Hatch, uh, lived a long, good life. Born in 1934 and uh, just died this last week. Uh, served 42 years in the U.S. Senate. 42 years, which is a serious, lasting legacy. There's always bumps along the road. I'm sure he has his fans, uh, his not-so-much fans. Mara, um, let's start with you on this. Uh, there's going to be a lot of coverage in the next week on the senator, his life, uh, the legacy he leaves behind. What are you expecting to see in here? 
Tributes. I mean, 42 years public official, we default to a tribute community. What I would love to see is a little more um, sort of grit in it. Because I think what honors people is to not just spit shine them. I mean, what's amazing about a 42-year public servant is they probably had great moments and, and poor moments. And I wish as a community we were a little more apt to want to just talk about real people. We always want to make people heroes. My two ends of the spectrum for Hatch, and everyone has a Hatch story, so these are really simple and not mine. One is, um, over the years, I've hired and worked with hundreds of interns, and um, I will say that to a person, people wanted to work particularly early early on in the Hatch world, because when you went to work in the um, Hatch office, you just did the public business. And I hired and worked with many Democrats who had interned in Senator Hatch's office and had a great experience, and I worked with many Republicans who had interned, because at that level, they just allowed you to serve in a U.S. Um, Senate office. And he and had a powerful a, office. And that. he had a yeah. history of having good staff, and he had a history of doing outreach, particularly in his heyday, um, and and really uh, welcomed. He didn't have many litmus tests for if you wanted to come serve him and you were the kind of student that was getting the grade you should and wanted to mm-hmm. answer hundreds of constituent letters, he wasn't, you know, doing a litmus test with you. He just allowed you to serve. So I think that was something that stands out for me with Hatch. Um, a, a description of where we all get to in life and maybe why people shouldn't be in service very long is that I also know a story about... Senator Hatch, and he would he would often go talk to the police officers, unions, and um, and sort of just uh, all elected officials, you know, go meet with law enforcement. And he would always tell this one story. For about seven years, he told this story about how he was on his way to St. George with his. Um, this is not a good story. On it uh, okay, uh, with, with his driver. All settling in I know here. you're settling in to hear this is this is superficial, and he had diarrhea. And he told his driver, oh gosh, <laughs> that he better hurry because he had, you know, I don't know why he didn't stop at the Dairy Queen and Beaver like the rest of us, but he was barreling down and he said it and he said it and a trooper pulled him over because they were speeding. And he tells the trooper, this is in Hatch's later years, he tells the trooper that he has diarrhea and the trooper says, okay, then Senator, keep going. And that was the singular story he told <laughs> to say to law enforcement, boy, keep at it. I just want to say, like, people are people. <laughs> sometimes they're eloquent, sometimes they're not. And, I mean, I, I, hats off to 42 years, um, but I just think he, he, I was someone who sometimes appreciated and sometimes didn't appreciate. I appreciate that he, he was of service um, and what he did for Utah, but I wish we wouldn't make heroes of people because I don't think it helps us find what we want to project and be okay with the things that we want to reject. So. Yeah, there's good and bad that comes with everyone. Uh, before I let you go, I was going to say a lot of people have, uh, when you look up what people Google about you, people always want to know if I'm related to Senator Hatch. And the oh, answer yeah. to that is no. Uh, Hatch is my married name, so we are not related. And I think we've looked at it before. It's been so long, I can't remember. But my husband, I think if you were to look enough branches back far enough, they are related somehow. So I'm not related to Senator Hatch, but as he was getting older in his years, I don't know if you ever got a Senator Hatch hug, any of you guys, but he was kind of a hugger. You'd in, sit down with him and you ask him a bunch of tough questions about the issues of the day and you'd go to shake his hand and he sometimes would give you a hug and you'd yeah. be like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, is it because I've been interviewing him for 25 years and he's getting older and he's just like, hey, I'm, it's good to see where you're doing in your career mm-hmm. or did he forget and think maybe we're related? 
I don't know. Yeah. So I had a question about I, that. At the I end. don't have oh, a hugging story with Orange. You Hatch. don't. I'm sorry. You don't. There was no, no hugging no, involved. No, didn't no, hug you. no hugging in our relationship. Um, all right. Well, I'm sorry. You did not get any hugs. Uh, you. So. Did you ever work with him in politics, or were you always kind of working in revolving circles near each other? Uh, we didn't really work on things together. I mean, you know. I probably first learned about him some in the early 90s when I worked in the tech sector. And mm-hmm. he was going after Microsoft on antitrust issues. And, uh, you know, he's quoted as he was at a, um, at a conference with uh, tech folks. And he said something along the lines of, if you want to get involved in business, you should get involved in politics. In other words, the message he was sending to the tech companies is you need to start donating to campaigns and you need to start lobbying. And, and clearly Microsoft got the message, but unfortunately now we live in a world in which Facebook, Google, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, have all gotten that message. And I don't think that was for the better for our nation. I liked it when the tech companies I worked for were much more apolitical. They were just focused on their, their business and not how do we influence it at and the And do you feel like level. that was a turning point? I do think that was a major turning point when it came to tech companies and the federal government. What year was that? Uh, mid-90s, late Mid-90s. 90s, somewhere there. Yeah, and that was definitely when things were changing. It was kind of when right. all the money was getting pumped into the first, you know, bubble of the Internet. Yep, and then and then clearly, you know, the tech sector in, in 2005, 2006 was highly agitated with Hatch because of his dynamics. I mean, part of it was they viewed that he leaned much more in favor of Hollywood mm. than the tech industry. And so we had, you know, a tech executive in 2006 and Democratic challenger Pete Ashdown. And he, and he was trying to draw attention. You know, clearly he had a huge uphill battle. And he was going around in a beat-up motorhome. It was, you know, had blue letters on the back. It was a red and white motorhome. And it had a message that said, this motorhome was new in 76. Mm-hmm. And clearly it was a not-so-subtle message <laughs> that something 30 years old at the time <laughs> needed to be replaced. And, you know, he was driving this around, and it actually broke down on him, as I understand, just outside yeah. of Cedar City. So he had to stop traveling and stayed in it because it was yeah. too old. Yeah. Interesting. So, but uh, but I do. I mean, he was not in my you know he was not in my fan club. You know, I two thousand not a state uh, a frugal. Well, Dougal it was fan not a frugal Dougal fan, and part of this goes back to two thousand five. I had a blog, kind of outspoken on it, and he was campaigning barnstorming the state in I think it was August recess two thousand five, and magically Monday morning he flew in with uh, George Bush on Air Force One for a photo op, and it was mm. campaign photo op, and I had something. Cute to say, I said, call out the search parties. Orrin found Utah. Sure, it took the power of the presidency, the Secret Service, and Air Force One, but Orrin's home. And he thought that was too personal. He did not like that. He did not appreciate that. You had a daddy yeah. blog. I didn't even know this. Does it still exist online? No, it I hate doesn't to call exist. it a daddy blog, like, but I figure they call uh, all st- women's st- blogs st- mommy blogs. So. Steve Urquhart and I were the first politicians in Utah, nice. uh, Utah to, have, to have blogs back in the day. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. I know it's kind of, when you look over the years... Um, even some of our senators, you know, how much time do they spend in the state? So that was definitely a question when... It was clearly a major issue in his, his campaign at the time. Yeah. But I just had such a quirky way of bringing it about that he just did not appreciate he that. He did not appreciate the advertising coming from you or the <laughs> anti-advertising. Well, uh, it'll be interesting to hear from more people. Anyone expect any big names coming into town for his funeral? Or are you thinking this is going to be kind of a quiet Utah affair? I mean, I won't be surprised. Well, I mean, one, his generation... It, 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 probably they're older. So I think that's a factor. But I do think when you've been around for that long, I mean, we've seen an outpouring online from a lot of who's who Mm -hmm. and a lot of recognition. And when he died that day, 
every major national news format led with it, which was great. I mean, you know, in terms of Utah profile, but you saw all of nationally focused news um, also pick it up, not just, in fact, I heard it first on national um, stations before yeah. local stations. So I think that's true. I, I'll be interested to see who, I, they'll do it well. Too. We also haven't had lying in state is a big deal. Right. Absolutely. And I was kind of wondering if that would happen in Washington, D.C., but as we've seen that he will be here lying in state. If you're interested at the state capitol on Wednesday evening. I couldn't remember, and I meant to look it up before this. Do you know? Not even Becky Lockhart. No, I I, I don't know. I can't recall who it is. I I don't know. I think we may have said in one of our newscasts, and I've already forgotten what I said out loud. Come on, come on. Roll the teleprompter. Let's see what it says. I know. I can't remember. But, yeah, it's been a really long time. Was it a governor? I want to say... I gotta go Google. See? Yeah, sorry. I know I don't have it off the top of my head, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see how many people show up. Um, the funeral services on Friday, so we'll be covering that all day long here at KUTV Two News, and it'll be interesting to hear more of these stories. I appreciate that you guys don't all have just good stories because we're all a mixed bag of good, in good, between, bad, and ugly. Bad and ugly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I hope someday when I die that my kids are willing to admit that their mom said naughty words sometimes and wasn't all wasn't <laughs> always the best so uh thank you for being in here and having a great conversation this week we will be back next week with more fun talk about utah politics because you know there will always be more